Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Swangard, he's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. We're going to discuss the news this week from the NFL that NFL owners opted out of the current collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association. Could we see a year without a salary cap in 2010 and a work stoppage in 2011? We're going to discuss the possibilities with Paul in segment three. In segment four, Sports Ends. Rick Buecher, he's ESPN's NBA insider. He's going to join us to discuss plenty of happenings from the NBA, from this past week's draft lottery to front office and coaching movements to the NBA playoffs. We'll have plenty of items to discuss with Rick Buecher in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Lots of headlines coming up next for you. The NFL, more news from the NFL. The biggest contract ever paid out to an NFL rookie. It was handed out this week. We'll give you all the details. And the 2012 Super Bowl. It's been awarded to someone. Who is it? Stick around and we'll tell you. Sports Business Radio coming up next. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, NFL owners this week unanimously voted to opt out of the league's collective bargaining agreement with the NFL Players Association in 2011. The move does not immediately threaten to disrupt the relatively harmonious coexistence between owners and players, but trouble could be on the horizon. March of 2010 is really the new deadline for an agreement. If a deal is not reached by that time, there would be no salary cap for that season, which would make things pretty darn interesting. If there's no deal by the end of the 2010 season, then players could be in jeopardy of being locked out by owners in 2011. Now, if that happens, players would likely decertify the union in a bid to avert a lockout, a move that potentially would expose the owners to an antitrust lawsuit by the players. Nathan, I mentioned all of this. It's very complicated, but the good news is there's a few years to work this out. The ridiculous news is, and the silly news is, there's billions of dollars to be shared in this pie by the owners and the players. 
the NFL makes more money from TV dollars than any other league. It's ridiculous if they can't reach some agreement. Well, this could be disastrous for the NFL. I mean, we've seen what's happened to Major League Baseball in the past when they have to have a work stoppage. And you're right. There's so much money with the NFL. You'd think that they'd finally find a resolution for this, but it doesn't look like it's going to be the case as of right now. Our next headline, and this has to do with why the owners are upset. The Atlanta Falcons signed quarterback Matt Ryan, the third pick in April's NFL draft, to a record six-year, $72 million deal, including $34.75 million as a signing bonus. That's guaranteed. It's the largest contract ever paid to an NFL rookie. Ryan's deal dorsed the deal signed by the top pick in the draft. That's lineman Jake Long, who signed a five-year $57 million deal with the Dolphins, $30 million guaranteed. Nathan, I don't remember a draft in any draft, any sport, where the number three pick basically gets $20 million more than uh, the number three pick gets $20 million more than the number one pick. Well, what's ironic about this is we just talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago that there weren't any huge names in this draft compared to drafts of the past, and yet we're still seeing this kind of money being thrown around. I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, it's guaranteed money, and that's what's concerning for the owners. The NFL, where there are non-guaranteed contracts, When the guaranteed money continues to go up, the owners get worried. Now, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, has signed big checks before. He's the one who signed Michael Vick's 10-year, $130 million deal back in December of 2005, and we all know what happened with that deal. Our next headline, the new home of the Indianapolis Colts, Lucas Oil Stadium. They were awarded the 2012 Super Bowl this week. The stadium seats 100,000 people. It opens this fall. One of the big selling points to owners for approving the Super Bowl in Indy is that the city will build a new practice facility for the Super Bowl itself, and the facility then will be given back to the community to be used for the area's young athletes. I think this is really cool, and I think it's cool that the Super Bowl is going to come to Indy. Usually it's in the warm-weather cities, but Indy is very deserving of the Super Bowl. And Bill Polian, who we've had on this show before, is one of the key components to getting this done. Well, and Indy's a sports mecca. Nancy Double is there. You know, the Brickyard's there. So it's a sports mecca. It's a great place to have the Super Bowl. Speaking of the Brickyard, the Indy 500 taking place this weekend. Danica Patrick, she's been hot since winning her first IRL race in Japan last month. She's on the cover of SI this week. Expect TV ratings to be up big as Patrick continues to bring the casual fan to the sport. NASCAR is going to counter the Indy 500 with the Coca-Cola 600 this weekend. Our next headline, Nike and the Yankees have agreed in principle to a five-year sponsorship agreement set to begin in 2009, the team's first season in the new Yankee Stadium. That's according to the Sports Business Journal. Uh, The deal ends the 11-year partnership between Adidas and and the New York Yankees. Uh, Nathan, this is big news, and Nike is going to do some guerrilla marketing at the All-Star Game in a few months, and uh, they're going to start to establish a real big presence, and they may not be done with the Yankees. They might go sign a deal with the New York Mets as well. Well, the exposure they're going to get from this is ridiculous. You know, Adidas has been synonymous with the Yankees brand. We see the Adidas all logo all over the walls and behind the backstop at Yankee Stadium. This is a big deal for Nike, and the exposure they're going to get in New York, the biggest market, is gigantic for the Yanks. Former USC basketball player O.J. Mayo this week fired Bill Duffy and Associates. The story was first reported by CNBC. 
Duffy and his agency are under investigation by the NBA Players Association for being linked to payments made to Mayo. We spoke about this story extensively last week with Scott Wolf from the LA Daily News. I'm sure there's a lot more coming up with the story, and we will discuss it in future weeks on this show. NBC earned a 6.214 overnight Nielsen rating for last Saturday's race coverage of the Preakness Stakes. And Big Brown captured his second leg in his quest for the Triple Crown. Those ratings are down 3.1%. Big Brown trying to become the first horse since affirmed in 1978 to sweep the series at the Belmont Stakes on June 7th. Big Brown making big money, Nathan. $50 million in stud fees his owners have collected. He's even got an endorsement deal with UPS, which... I guess their tagline is, what can Brown do for you? Well, Brown can help your ratings, I'll tell you that much. The third leg of the, of the uh, Triple Crown, which is the Belmont, is going to be watched by a lot more people than if Big Brown had not won the Preakness. So watch out for those numbers. I think they'll be huge, and if he wins it, it might actually lift the interest in horse racing next season as well. I want people to remember a few weeks ago after the Derby, I said Big Brown will win the Triple Crown because the field is so diluted, he's not really racing against... Anyone who's very good, he's never lost a race. I think he's going to win the Triple Crown. Well, we'll stay tuned. I'm on board with you, but uh, it's happened before we've predicted that, and it didn't happen last time. Coming up next, Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Lots to discuss. How is this NFL thing that happened this week? The opting out of the collective bargaining agreement. How might that affect things for the NFL and how they do business? We're going to discuss that with Paul Swangard next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, thanks for taking time to join us again. Always have to do it, Brian. So, Paul, big news of the week. Uh, We just discussed this in headlines. The NFL labor situation, the owners opted out of their deal uh, really seems like March 2010 is the next deadline. If they don't get a deal done by then, then you're looking at playing with an uncapped season. 2011 is when the actual agreement expires. Do you think this will get done in the next few years, or do you think this is reason for the NFL and uh, fans of the NFL to be worried? I guess I, at this point in the process, I, I wouldn't tell fans to be too worried. I, I think in in the sense that I'm getting is that both sides understand 
there, there were needs to tweak the CBA. While there are still some fundamental disagreements about some of the issues, I know the, the owners have talked about a number of things, you know, including the rookie wage scale, um, trying to recoup some bonus money from players that, uh, you know, are, are not able to live up to the obligations of what the bonus was uh, to pay them to do. And there's obviously the kind of the overarching, you know, uh, feeling by the owners that the way in which revenue sharing is done, particularly with the players, the 60% figure of football-related income, um, is difficult in an environment where so many of these teams are actually spending uh, quite a bit of money in developing new stadiums and new facilities for the players and um, have to do that um, without being able to discount that off the uh, the amount of uh, revenue they have to share with the players. So I think there will be fundamental issues in play. Um, but I think both sides recognize that the uh, you know that this is the going still pretty good for both sides and and keeping things going the right direction is in the best interest of both parties. Yeah, I mean you just hit it right on the head. This is a multi-billion-dollar league. It's the most successful league in U.S. sports, and you know I think most of the people uh, let's let's just see the birth. We don't want to see the labor pains and. They want a deal to get done. I think people, the outsider would go, gosh, seems like there's a lot of money for everyone to go around. Why can't these guys make a deal and decide? Some of the red flags I've seen, and we see another one this week, Matt Ryan, the third pick in the draft, quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, six-year, $72 million deal, highest signing bonus ever for a rookie, $34 million. Those guaranteed Dollars continue to go up every year, and I think that's a little bit concerning for NFL owners. Well, and I, I think what we find in, in, in all the leagues, you know, it's been a fundamental challenge in, in how these relationships have been forged. Is there, there's oftentimes a fundamental disagreement about uh, about each other's perspective. I, I think you ask the NFL players, and they feel like they're the NFL. They're the, they're the actual product on the field. Uh, you talk to the owners, they really feel like, you know, they bring a lot to the table. They bring their, you know, their personal wealth. They build the brand. They build the stadiums and the facilities to to house these competitions. And, um, again, it's you, know, you can't, on one hand, fault them for both taking their own, you know, self-interest. And yet, um, you know, back to our original point, you know, you're you're playing in a sandbox that's been filled by the – you know the sand of of people's dollars that are you know these fans that have put so much money into the uh, the organization that you would hope that they would uh, fix their differences for you know really what is you know a unique facet to our culture which is you know sport is yes we understand it's a business yes we understand that there's money involved but you know to rob us of our Sundays because you guys can't agree how to split you know, multi-billion dollar television contracts and stadium revenue and who gets paid how much, um, for the average fan, it's it, it's almost laughable. I mean, that's the thing that's really amazing about the NFL. I've, I've said on this show, it's almost dummy proof for the owners. You've got to have tons of money, a billion dollars or more to get in just to get a team. But once you get in, you're making so much money from TV revenues every year, it almost covers your salary cap money. I mean, it's hard to lose money in the NFL. Some owners, uh, the owner Pat Bolin in Denver with the Broncos is claiming he's losing money. They've laid people off. How does an NFL team lose money with all this money going into their pocket from the TV deals? Well, it's and it's true that most, in fact, it's almost a wash that the the money that is uh, generated at the at the television contract tables basically fund your your player costs, at least in the salary. I mean, there's obviously 
expenses behind uh, the uh, you know the, the operation of these teams, and, the, and, the, and that costs you know part of your money. But you're making that up with with ticket revenue, sponsorship revenue at the local level. Um, where it's really become you know a, a little bit of a challenge is for a lot of these uh, team owners who have gone in and, and built new facilities that. Um, have laden them a little bit with either some upfront investment or a sizable debt service to to pay off over the course of maybe 20, 30 years, and it has drawn down uh, the amount of uh, money they have at the end of the season to either pay their shareholders. Now, the irony here is that, and, and we often teach this here in the Warsaw Center, is, is when you when you look at the broader context of where the real value here is for an NFL owner, is the real value is in the asset. Valuation, you know these these teams. I mean, Daniel Schneider and uh, Jerry Jones in in Dallas. I mean, they now have teams that are that are being you know valued by you know Forbes well in excess of a billion dollars. They paid much less for it, and so that's the long term benefit that the owners get. But yeah, the day to day operation of an NFL franchise in a major and or a minor market is. Uh, it's not a, a very lucrative business, and now all of a sudden we've got you know the owners saying, well, we want better returns. It's like, well, you know, you, you've you've generated tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in value on your asset, and and you're complaining that you can't make uh, a few extra million dollars in uh, in annual revenue. It, it, in some cases, that's a hard argument, particularly for fans, I think, to swallow. We're joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, let's talk a moment about the Indy 500. It's upon us this weekend. Danica Patrick, recently on the cover of Sports Illustrated, won her first IRL race last month in Japan. Uh, Seems like she's really done a nice job of shining the spotlight on the IRL. I know she's done it in recent years, but I just get the sense that there's a little bit more credibility this year with a win under her belt. I think it helps her immensely. I'm and I've and I've said this publicly. I, I think in some ways, for her existing sponsors, it, it kind of validates their original investment. I'm not, I'm not getting the sense that you know the win in and of itself is going to move her into a different plateau on the sponsorship endorsement side because a lot was expected, you know. And and this win, I think, was part of what uh, uh, a lot of people probably paid a premium for involving themselves uh, or connecting to the Danica Patrick brand. Uh, in the early stages of her career. What this really speaks to is the opportunity and the momentum that now exists for the reunification of open-wheel racing in the United States where we had competing circuits. And, you know, as an example, in your backyard, you know, when the uh, G.I. Joe's 200 came through the Portland International Speedway every year, you know, the, the operators there would always inevitably get the calls wanting to know when they could when fans could come out and see Danica Patrick. Well, she didn't race on that circuit. And so there was even commu- confusion in the marketplace of, you know, okay, well, what what circuit is she, you know, racing in? Now we've got, uh, you know, something that's a lot cleaner. Uh, we have, uh, you know, stars uh, like herself, Helio Castroneves, and others who uh, bring a lot of uh, visibility to the sport. Um, it does still, and will be evidenced uh, by the race uh, coming up. The, you know, one of the the crown jewels of American sport, uh, you know, event days in the Indy 500, and if that can be rekindled and, and draw more national interest. I think it's a sport that has an opportunity to carve out a nice little niche for itself here in the U.S. And while it might not rival um, NASCAR in the short term, you know, it certainly has an opportunity to, to recapture uh, at least some of the imagination of the American sports fan where in, in the past it really just uh, captured the confusion of those fans. Danica has really become the face of the IRL. Uh, you know, she does more interviews than anyone if NASCAR comes along, and I know there's been a lot of talk about this, but if NASCAR comes along and some owner throws a ton of money at her, do you think she goes? 
Um, you know, I think she still has to, you know, I, th- I think she still has to continue to, to build her credibility as a driver. And if it's the feeling that she has the ability to create that credibility by crossing over, I, you know, my sense would be, and I'm not, not having ever sat in the, uh, in the middle of a race car in either of these circuits, I, I don't know what transferability her skills would have vis-a-vis moving, you know, into the NASCAR realm. So I, my best suggestion to her while, you know, it'd be great financially and it would be certainly another way to, to raise some, uh, uh, some publicity value and and get tapped into the NASCAR uh, you know landscape. You know there may be some good. You know it, it might be better to be the face of uh, of this new unified open wheel racing series rather than being another face uh, and and perhaps just a new face to the uh, to the world of NASCAR. Let's talk some Major League Baseball for a moment. I thought one of the more heartwarming moments in all of sports this year, John Lester cancer patient who has battled cancer and and fought that pitches a no-hitter at Fenway Park Red Sox become the first team since the 74-75 Angels to have back-to-back no-hitters not in the same game but the last two that have been pitched have been pitched by the Red Sox last year Clay Buckholtz pitched Fenway Park it's really becoming a magical place they win the World Series there Two no-hitters now. Uh, it's one of the smaller ballparks in all of baseball, but, boy, uh, it really is magical, isn't it, Paul? It's a great story, and, uh, you know, credit to, you know, the organization there, Fenway Sports Group, and, and just the, the way in which they've approached. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting case study in, you know, how you can take a facility that by some measures, and, and certainly measures taken you know, even by the existing fan base several years ago to be a facility that uh, needed to be replaced and now being sort of how could we have ever thought we would, you know, tear this thing down. And, you know, they've been very creative in, in building new revenue streams, um, both, you know, in, in existing and, and added ticket inventory, um, expanding their services and offerings, uh, you know, in, in the services they provide through Fenway Sports Group and, and really have created, a, you know, a brand and an experience that, you know, really speaks to the core, you know, of, of what people expect from, you know, Major League Baseball experiences. And I think it's uh, it's great for Boston. It's, it's a great story in, in terms of the resurgence. And uh, and I think everybody's certainly enjoying more victories there than uh, maybe they've seen in, in the past decades. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge will be, you know, continuing to keep that momentum going and recognizing they'll not be in a position to, to maybe, you know, win a championship every year and, and still needing to find ways to be competitive on uh, on the ticket and the sponsorship front, but uh, right now I, I wouldn't uh, I, I would be hard pressed to think of another uh, uh, baseball experience that uh, could sell any better right now than than uh, even a, a matinee or an evening game at Fenway Park. It's just interesting. We had Michael Colt from the Tampa Bay Rays on the show last week, and they're looking at building a thirty four thousand seat stadium. It would be the smallest in Major League Baseball, but the plan seems to be build a smaller stadium have a real demand for the tickets, charge a premium for those tickets instead of building a 75,000-seat stadium where you have 20,000 seats that are empty. We look at uh, Nationals Park, just opened up in D.C. You know, they did great the first night, but since then, attendance has really not been that great. I'm sure the Mets and Yankees next year will have no problem filling up their big stadiums, but they're in New York. I just think it's really interesting to see how people may be moving towards smaller stadiums and charging more of a premium for those tickets than building these enormous, gigantic stadiums where half the seats go empty. 
Well, and, and, and anyone who's spent any time in, in any economics course knows that, that, that scarcity can drive demand, and, and that's really what's at play here. And I think you'd, you'd, you'd want to have a building. Um, and, and again, at the end of the day, this also speaks to kind of creating a compelling um, entertainment experience. I, I, I would say 35,000 people in a 35,000-seat facility um, would create a more entertaining experience than those same 35,000 people in a 75,000 right. stadium. And so creating that type of environment, uh, recognizing that you're trying to entertain people, um, you know, who are, who are obviously devoting a, a fair portion of their time, energy and dollars to come out and, and watch these things. It makes perfect sense. And it's, you know, it's one of the reasons as well. We've seen a, you know, certainly one of the trends we've seen in, in some of the other sports leagues, most notably the MLS, is is looking to build stadiums that that really fit the market and also fit the the scope of what the sport is and you know when the MLS first started you had them playing in you know football stadiums and they played RFK and DC United would you know basically have one half of one lower part of the RFK stadium side you know filled out and you know now you're going to build new you know soccer specific stadiums where you're going to put 30,000 people in it on a on a good soccer weekend and you know, it'll be a great atmosphere. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a great uh, uh, a great trend that we're seeing uh, not only in, in some of the fledgling sports leagues like the MLS, but uh, even now in Major League Baseball. And it's and it's good for the sport and it's good for the fans. And while they may have to pay a premium to, to get that experience, I guess the argument there is I think you're getting what you're paying for uh, instead of just being charged more for an experience that uh, – you know, you and I have both been in ballparks that you, you know, you you were the only guy or gal in the section, and it, uh, yeah. it's just not the same. No, it's not the same. Paul, before we let you go, give us the latest from the Warsaw Center. Well, for uh, for anyone who's uh, in the academic community, they're probably listening to us wondering why we're still in school. You know, we're on a quarter system out here, so we're not done until mid June. So we're going through the. Uh, you know the, the final stages of our uh, of our spring quarter. A lot of excitement. Uh, you know, for the summer brings internships and obviously the the job front. Uh, a lot of great hires and a lot of great uh, you know future professionals entering the industry this year. And then uh, uh, as we're gearing up, probably deja vu for you. We're planning our next uh, jaunt over to China for uh, our next study tour with our MBAs in September for the. Paralympic Games, which will be a very exciting uh, moment, and I hear one of the more amazing uh, events in in sport right now, and so we're looking forward to that, and uh, if we can uh, figure out a way, maybe uh, meet you on the golf course once or twice during the summer. Ah, That sounds good to me, and uh, yeah, that China trip last year, you know, one of the best trips I've ever taken, and your students are so impressive, and what an opportunity for them to get to go to places like San Francisco, New York, in China as part of your program. It's, uh, I wish they had that stuff when I was going to school, as they say. Well, as, as we say often, uh, you know, one of the challenges that a program like ours faces is, is, is trying to stay relevant to the industry when you're based in Eugene, Oregon, even though it was obviously the home of, uh, and, the, and the birthplace of a, of a little shoe company. But, uh, you know, those trips are an important ingredient to that. Uh, we like to say, uh, you know, what we try to prove often is that uh, what's learned in Eugene doesn't necessarily stay in Eugene. And, uh, the success of our students uh, around the globe really speaks to the fact that uh, uh, you get a great experience here and uh, you get a chance to see the world. And uh, and when you're done, uh, you know there there are a lot of opportunities out there. Um, and take your career where you want to, and uh, use Eugene as kind of the major hub for uh, getting where you need to go. Well, Paul, it's always great to catch up with you, and uh, we'll connect with you again soon. That sounds good, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Thanks for taking the time to join us. My pleasure, Brian. It is indeed a busy time, but uh, I've always got time for you. Thank you. So let's talk about the NBA draft lottery uh, that was held this past week. Chicago, with only a 1.7% chance, gets the number one pick. The question on everyone's minds, Derrick Rose or Michael Beasley? What are you hearing about uh, the early buzz about which one of those players may be headed to Chicago, or might the Bulls look to uh, trade that pick? Uh, There's always talk about trading a pick, but uh, at at the end of the day, the value of getting a guy, uh, of picking the best player out of a draft class, and getting him at the price that you get him for a number one pick, uh, those those trades invariably never happen. Uh, in, in a case where a team might be uh, unloading some salary versus a team that, that needs that last piece and wants to go for it now, uh, that's generally where you see those trades happen. Uh, so uh, thinking back to uh, Denver being able to get uh, a top five pick uh, to get Nene, but uh, those those are very rare, and they invariably, in fact, I can't remember, quite honestly, the last time the number one pick uh, was traded, and uh, and certainly not since the, the rookie salary scale has come into effect have we seen it. So um, all that said, uh, I fully believe, actually, you know, we're, we're probably going back to um, uh, to Chris Weber, uh, the Chris Weber days, uh, in terms of, of the last time we saw that happen, and that was before the uh, the rookie salary scale. So uh, that said, I wouldn't expect to get it. I wouldn't wouldn't expect to see it dealt. And if they're just going to go simply by uh, player talent, uh, Derek Rose is an absolute no brainer. And uh, but you know you never know with these things because they have a glut of point guards, and uh, it's possible sometimes every now and then teams will draft for need rather than best available uh and we'll just have to see what happens with chicago now miami has the number two pick and you know last year with the odin durant debate you know everyone said that uh sam presti had the easiest job in sports you just take whoever the blazers didn't take is it that simple with miami or do you think pat riley who was talking this week about well we want to leverage this pick as much as possible do you think there's any legitimacy to the fact that uh, you know, it seems like Riley wants Rose. So let's say Rose goes to Chicago, and now yeah. you're left with Beasley. Does he maybe move that pick to someone who really wants Beasley and, and try and leverage that? 
Uh, again, he possibly could, but uh, then then you get into the difficulty of uh, they, they don't have cap room, uh, so they would have to deal that to somebody who did have cap room, and um, and and again, that uh, cap room would have to be available. You'd have, either have to make a deal. Uh, the deal wouldn't happen draft night, by and large. If if that was going to go down, it would be uh, arranged. The deal would be made after July one, when potentially uh, more cap space would be available uh, to a particular team that would be wanting to make that deal. Again, uh, th- those those are so difficult. I get the sense that Riley's uh, uh, speaking out has as much to do with the fact that he's not coaching now, and so if he's going to get his competitive juices going, it's by uh, playing every angle as the GM and and also just drumming up business. Uh, Miami had a horrendous season, and nothing uh, titillates uh, a season ticket base like the prospect of, I mean, if if you just said simply, well, you know what, we're going to take whoever the number, you know, whoever's left, we're just going to take the number two guy. That doesn't have a whole lot of juice. But when you say, hey, you know what, we might dangle it out there to see if we can make a deal. Well, now that suddenly piques piques people's interest thinking, hey, you know what, if they got a real player, Dwayne Wade comes back healthy, Sean Marion stays. uh, Wow, we could, uh, we could be a player sooner than we thought. People might just re-up their tickets uh, based on that. So there's always a uh, there, there's always the entertainment marketing uh, angle going on when you're talking about the NBA draft. We're joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Rick, uh, you know, as we get closer to the draft, there's always discussions of other trades. Are there players in the league that you look around at and say, you know, I think these are going to be some pretty hot names amongst the GMs as we get closer to draft night? Obviously, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony's name has been out there, and uh, Denver, the Denver Nuggets have been trying to make a deal. Seems like for for about a year now, uh, in straight trying to trying to uh, reduce their their cap hit, and they haven't been able to do it uh, in part because there's a lot of disarray in their front office. Uh, that said, uh, I they're going to continue to explore possibilities of moving. Uh, either Carmelo Anthony or Marcus Am- uh, Camby or both. So uh, I would uh, I would expect to hear his name out there. Questions about what Ron Artest is going to do with his contract and would Sacramento want him back? Seems like they have a really uh, nice young nucleus, and if they could uh, parlay him into uh, some more young talent, uh, that's certainly a possibility. So uh, those are a couple of the. Uh, of the names that I would expect to hear out there, uh, Corey Maggette, uh being another one in in LA. Uh, some of the some of the same suspects. I've heard uh, Michael Red too. Uh, you know what? I I would I would that would not surprise me at all because what surprised me about Milwaukee hiring Scott Skiles and doing it early, uh, a, a decision I, I have to imagine they they would regret at this stage because so many other uh, qualified coaches became available. Right. Uh, why rush into that decision? But Scott Skiles and Michael Red and Andrew Bogut, for that matter, uh, are not. Th- those are diametrically opposed personalities. There's there's no way that they coexist. So doesn't surprise me that Red's name might be dangled out there. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if uh, if the if the Milwaukee Bucks have to completely revamp their roster because of the head coach that they hired. God, that's just so interesting. I mean. 
Let's talk about some of these coaches' openings for a moment. You know, I read Bill Simmons today, and uh, he was saying how Mike D'Antoni, if he would have just waited a few more weeks, maybe he would have taken that Chicago job and had the number one pick. Phoenix has a vacancy. Chicago has a vacancy. Uh, what are you hearing about uh, those? Uh, who's going to be coaching in those two cities next year? I have not uh, heard anything definitive. Certainly both of them are going very slowly. Phoenix is going to uh, interview – uh, any number of guys, uh, Steve Kerr is going to pay homage to both Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson by uh, uh, interviewing uh, a number of their assistant coaches, and, and that probably can't happen until one or both of those teams are eliminated. Uh, Chicago is definitely on an austerity program, so I keep hearing that Tom Thibodeau is the guy that they really want to interview before they make any decisions uh, and they've got a host of other assistant coaches that they've expressed an interest in. Uh, ultimately, you know, Dan Pony waiting uh, on the on the Chicago job, a, the money was never going to be there. Uh, he was going to have to take uh, probably half of what he got in New York. So, as much as people might say he should have waited, uh, I don't know that it would have uh, it would have made any fiscal sense uh, for him to to do otherwise. And so. Uh, and I would expect that uh, before all is said and done, you'll see at least one more uh, coach opening. Uh, Atlanta, as soon as they hire a new GM, uh, I would fully expect that uh, that GM is going to be given the liberty to bring in his his own head coach. And uh, more than likely, that would not be Mike Woodson. Yeah. I mean, I look at a guy like Avery Johnson. I think he's a fantastic coach. and. I- it would be hard for me to believe that one of these teams wouldn't want to hire him as their coach. I know he's not a fit in Phoenix, but uh, you know Chicago or some other place, I would think he'd be a pretty good option for someone. I don't expect. Uh, well, there, you know, here's the thing. There's some history. You always have to consider the history. And from what I'm told, as far as Phoenix is concerned, uh, Steve Kerr and Avery Johnson uh, weren't didn't see eye to eye when they were teammates in San Antonio. So. I wouldn't expect that to happen, and I've been told that from Avery's camp, uh, he's going to he's going to use the uh, Rick Car- Carlisle model, and uh, his star is not as bright uh, right now as it probably will be in a year. Uh, I imagine he's going to do TV either with ESPN or TNT, uh, allow uh, people to uh, forget whatever disappointments he had, and when uh, more openings uh, occur and look back and say, hey, you know what, wasn't he, wasn't he coach of the year last time we saw him? Uh, and, and he might have a, uh, a greater choice as far as his job opening. So I fully expect that he's, he's going to do TV for a year before he jumps back into the coaching ring. And as, as I've said, I probably said it on your show, you know, my feeling is, is that we shouldn't be paying these guys. They should be paying us because – we seem to be uh, have a have a great knack for for getting them their next high paid job. No kidding, they should have to pay a percentage to uh, absolutely to a, a finder's fee, something. Uh, you know, they're uh, we're, we're giving them a great platform. Uh, owners and, and GMs don't seem to recognize that when they're speaking on TV that they they have the luxury of speaking after the fact. Uh, they get to watch the replay and or they get to see the play. Uh, develop and then tell you what should have happened or what was good or bad. Uh, the, the coaching, the coaching job actually requires for you to make those decisions before anything happens. And batting averages tend to, to drop a little bit when that's the case. So let's talk about the playoffs for a moment. Uh, you know, obviously NBA commissioner, David Stern and the executives at ABC are probably on their knees 
praying every night for <laughs> Lakers, Celtics, and mm-hmm. not Spurs and Pistons as we saw <laughs> a few years ago. Uh, right. How do you think this is going to shake out? I mean, so far it certainly looks like uh, Lakers, Celtics look pretty good. Uh, I, I, that certainly has a possibility. I, I got to say that uh, my uh, my sense is it'll be either Lakers, Pistons, or Lakers, Celtics, and. For the history of those three teams, I would say um, they would be intriguing. I, I think as long as, you, as long as they have L.A. Uh, involved, they can survive with whichever team comes out of the East. Obviously, uh, everybody uh, in the business, in the TV business, uh, in the marketing business, in the entertainment side of things from the NBA is rooting for a Lakers-Celtics uh, final I'm just not sure, quite honestly, from a competitive standpoint, I would expect that a a Lakers-Pistons series would be far more intriguing and would would have far more games. But as we know, that doesn't necessarily uh, drive the ratings or the interest. It's uh, it's all about the the names and and the markets. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out. I just – I. I, I try to resist from thinking that way, even though I've become more of the TV family uh, than I ever have been. Yeah. Uh, just a few minutes left. You know, you know Kobe Bryant very, very well. He speaks mm-hmm. with you pretty uh, regularly. He won the MVP this year. What's mm-hmm. the biggest difference, besides the fact that he just bought $9,000 watches for his teammates, what's the biggest difference between Kobe Bryant this year and his MVP season and previous seasons? I'd say more than anything else that uh, he's feeling his basketball mortality and he has to measure his game a little bit. He just can't go all out. He, he doesn't, he no longer has the, the, the energy and the, and the physical range to believe that he can dominate for 48 minutes. And so uh, first and foremost, he's always wanted to win um, people who consider him, uh, who have labeled him selfish in the past, don't understand that he simply thought his domination was the best way to winning. He trusted him. He trusted his teammates. He just trusted himself more. Now he's at a stage where he realizes, I, I, can't, I can't get there without these guys. So I need to utilize them. I need to uh, cultivate them. And uh, and that's what you see. Uh, It was clear in game one that for the first three quarters, he was all about trying to get Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom going, no matter how badly they were playing, feeling that I I need not only to get them going for this game, but I need them to feel good for the series. And it was amazing. This tells you just the greatness of Kobe Bryant. He then, the fourth quarter, absolutely toyed with Bruce Bowen when he decided it was a matter of he. It was astounding to see a guy against a uh, perennial defensive player of the year say, "Oh, I'm not worried about my scoring. I can go and get mine whenever I want against this guy." And then went and quite honestly did it. Um, but if, if there's a if there's a difference, it's uh, it, it's a difference because of necessity <laughs> rather than uh, he suddenly had a your heart in terms of how he believes he needs to play. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's astounding for me and, and for listeners of this show, when you look at Kobe, you know, a few years ago, this guy's image was really in the tank after being such a, a bright star for so many years. And right. now he's getting endorsement deals again. He just signed a deal with Coke. And, you know, people want to associate their brand again with Kobe Bryant. 
He's one of the more well-spoken guys in all of sports, and uh, you know he seems different now. I watch him on PTI, and he smiles, and he can make fun of himself, and um, he just seems to be a different person than he was in years past. Uh, a big part of it is he's just he's matured. He's he's 29 years old, and uh, he, he's been around forever. So we sometimes forget that he's only 29 years old, and this was about the time that. Michael Jordan started winning championships. And so we sometimes forget uh, that uh, it takes a while for these guys to evolve. And I have, I have more than anything, I, I, it's, it's a combination of the fact that he's simply mature, he feels comfortable around his teammates, and he's also, again, because he's feeling his basketball mortality, he's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about how people will view him in the long view. And uh, he, doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be remembered in a negative light. He wants to be in the conversation as, uh, as the greatest player who's ever played. And uh, what he's learned over the years is that, fair or otherwise, people equate personality. In the, in, they, they put that in the equation. And, uh, and he's never scored high marks on that front with a lot of people. He's trying to change that. Well, Rick, I appreciate you taking the time. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Rick, always great to catch up with you. Continued success during the playoffs, and uh, we'll catch up with you maybe uh, before or after the draft. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, fans who got in on the Minnesota Timberwolves 2008-2009 paid the pick season ticket promotion, which promised to give the fan a per-game ticket price correlating to the team's draft position. Well, they're pretty happy. They're going to be paying $129 total for season tickets this season. After getting the third pick in Tuesday night's draft lottery, these fans who had to get in before the pick was called, will pay $3 per game for 43 games. So Timberwolves get the number three pick. Fans pay $3. This, to our knowledge, is the lowest season ticket package ever offered by a pro team minor league or major league, Nathan. Well, what's amazing about this is even if they'd gotten the 14th pick, which is the lowest pick you can get, they still would have only paid $602. So, I mean... 
no matter what, you're going to get a great deal on season tickets. And this is, once again, why the Timberwolves are one of the better franchises in the NBA, I think. I want to see where these seats are, though. Are they in the nosebleeds? Or are they decent? Who cares? I mean, but if you got a $3 ticket and you're sitting down low on the 100 level, that is like the steal of all deals. Well, if you get a $3 ticket, you're sitting in the nosebleeds, you can have two beers and a hot dog and not feel like you just got robbed. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to pay probably six times more for parking. They'll probably pay 20 bucks for parking. That's what they charge here in Portland for a Blazers game. But $3 for a ticket to the game. Well, let's talk about what other teams in Minnesota go for. The Minnesota Twins, 67 games, go for $1,206. And the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA team, for 16 games, you're paying 320 bucks. So you're getting twice the amount of games. You're getting to see an NBA team for a little over 100 bucks. This is a steal. Well, and attendance wasn't good in Minnesota last year, and the team wasn't very good first year post-Kevin Garnett. They've got a young team that obviously they're going to get a good pick now. Hey, maybe this is a way to expose people to your product and get some more season ticket holders. Last note, Tiffany and Company announced this week it signed a two-year partnership with Maria Sharapova. We talk about her often on this show, one of the highest-earning female athletes in sports. We've had her agent, Max Eisenbud, from ING on the show before. Uh, she's going to wear Tiffany earrings during each of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including this weekend at the French Open. She's going to be wearing 18 karat gold wave earrings. You know, she always looks great in these Nike-designed uh, outfits that they make for her. Now she's going to have some uh, bling-bling to go with it. Well, this is a big tournament for Maria. If she can capture the French Open, she can capture the career Grand Slam, which is a sought-after uh, title, and it's just going to make her that big of a marketable athlete. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Rick Buecher from ESPN, Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. Nathan, quickly, is Danica Patrick going to finally win the Indy 500? No. She's not, okay? She's not. Bobby, you're our racing guy. Is Danica Patrick going to win the Indy 500? By at least seven car lengths. Wow. Okay. I am also going to agree with Bobby. I don't know if she'll win by seven car lengths, but I have a feeling this is the year for Danica with the Indy 500, I guess we will see. She'll finish fourth. Finish fourth, okay. And I guess we don't know who's going to win the Coca-Cola 600, but we'll talk about it on next week's show. It's been fun this week. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs> 